1: You are listening to The Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Chocolate to savour. You're listening to The Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Today, we're going to be talking about what it's like to parent alone during a pandemic. It's a really interesting subject because those of us with kids where there's two parents or two guardians know how challenging it's been. But listening to the perspective of someone who has done it alone, well, that is really sobering.
0: We want just as much as anybody else wants and we have plenty of drive, determination and motivation because we are the only ones to answer to these small people. We have a lot of pressure on us to keep it together. There's nobody else. Like I can't go into another room and get upset or feel scared about the pandemic. You know, I'm like, it's fine. We'll get through this. We'll figure it out.
1: That was Claire there, who you're going to hear later on in the episode. It's Monday, 29th of June, and it feels like a very seismic day with lockdown being lifted. We can travel around Ireland, we can go on holidays in Ireland, we can get our hair done which is what I'm doing today. I can't wait. (laughs) People are seeing relatives and friends they haven't seen for ages and I know I said I wasn't doing any queuing for shops um, but I did uh, succumb and somehow I ended up yesterday in a very long queue for Decathlon and I'm actually not sorry. It was a great experience. I only got one thing, a t-shirt for my holidays and The girls got a bit of gear and I would really like to see their sales figures because there was lots and lots of empty shelves and huge queues and people seem to have been descending on it. Most of the things I had spied on the website and done my research on were not there, including one of those towel poncho yokes. So you can avoid doing the Irish beach changing clothes jig when you're when you're trying to get out of your swimsuit. So just a warning decathlon is amazing, but it's under siege and they might not have the stuff you want. But sure, go ahead anyway. It's a bit of a laugh. Um, and they serve coffee and hot chocolate, which I didn't realise. So that's interesting. Anyway, back to today's episode. During the pandemic, single parents have faced many issues from shopping, With many stores banning children at the start of lockdown and ignoring the government's advice to use the common sense approach. Loneliness, uh, having no other adult interaction within the home can get really relentless in lockdown and we know from the 2016 census that one in four families with children in ireland is a one-parent family that's according to the census from 2016 and the people at lone parent organization one family have reported an 84 percent increase in calls to lone parents helplines during lockdown the increase comes as parents seek support on new and challenging issues that have arisen since restrictions began. So, on this conversation, I spoke to Neve Wynne who's from One Family. She coordinates their New Steps and New Futures program. Uh, she also does one-on-one work with parents, and one of those parents is telling her that they were already in crisis, and that COVID nineteen was just another challenge on top of the ones she already faced. And Claire O'Leary lives in Wexford. She has one five-year-old son called Peter and she's a single parent since her son was about seven months old and she's now going in to second year of a psychology degree in Waterford Institute of Technology. I started by asking Claire about her own situation and about what life has been like in lockdown.
0: So it started basically I was working in the UK and I found out I was pregnant with my partner we moved back from the UK and when my son was born he was about eight months old that we went kind of our separate ways so I've pretty much been a single parent from about seven eight months old and we moved into our own place. Wife, the father wasn't as awfully present um, in those seven months anyway so I kind of felt like I've been a lone parent this entire time it was nothing kind of different for me but um, when we moved back and we had to change our whole kind of life and I had to kind of change my mindset that I'd be doing everything on my own. My parents were amazing, incredibly supportive, uh, backed me up all the way. So I found it was, I had the best support ever there. They've just been there for me
1: from the word go. And Claire, you know, the way you said you had to change your mindset. So when you were pregnant and when you were in the relationship, I I presume like lots of people in relationships were pregnant. The way you think your life is going to pan out is a very particular way. You don't kind of think, well, I'll be on my own. So did you really, was that a big land for you? And was that something that took a lot of adjustment?
0: It was and it wasn't because when I was about eight months pregnant, my partner at the time uh, turned around to me one day and said, kind of, if we weren't together when this child was born, if we broke up, he said he wouldn't be that interested in being together. So yeah, in his mind, it was very much like all in, all out. So I was like, I kind of got a land at about eight months, but I just knew then, you know, you're eight months pregnant. You're kind of like, well, you're kind of in now, you know, like it's it's going to happen. I think from about there, I knew that I'd probably be doing it on my own and I was okay with it because I knew I was coming back to Ireland and I was like, look, I have the support of great parents. I have five siblings, you know, they've all been great and very supportive of me and I've gotten loads of support of my friends and stuff as well. So it wasn't as big a deal as I thought
1: it would be. (laughs) OK, but I suppose you were also dealing with the breakup of a relationship and being a mother for the first time. Those are two quite big events.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I suffered with postnatal depression um, and wasn't diagnosed until I was about six, six months after he was born. So I had a six month old and I remember like cleaning my house top to bottom. I had all these sort of obsessive traits and I went to the doctor and once I started the medication, I have never felt as well in my life <laughs> Even since I was probably a teenager, I've never felt as well. So that was another thing that kind of got me through a lot of the the hard parts of it. But um, I still am on the medication, but I, I find it fantastic. I've never felt as well or as motivated or as driven in my entire life.
1: Brilliant. So. so let's go back in terms of the first few years, because obviously we're going to talk about being a single parent in lockdown and in in that particular, the challenges of that for, for people on their own uh, with children. But before that, what were the challenges for you? How was life? I know you've loads of support down there in Wexford from your parents and that's so important. But what did you find difficult and what things did you have to work on?
0: I think the hardest part of being a single parent um, definitely would be not the loneliness. A lot of people talk about loneliness and it's like it's not it's not the kind of stereotypical loneliness. You think of. It's like, oh, come over, we'll have a glass of wine, everything will be fine. No, it's the, the book falls with you. So at the end of the day, if I make a decision to benefit him or what I think might benefit him or maybe it backfires and it doesn't benefit him, it lies with me. So my child could grow up maybe ratish or, you know, has emotional issues or whatever. It's like I have to be on the ball all the time because if I don't catch it, no one else does. (laughs) Right. You know, it's even things like bad teeth. Like if I don't keep an eye on brushing his teeth, something as simple as that. And he ends up with a rotten tooth because nobody
1: else sees it like I see
0: it. I see it in the morning, in the evening, bedtime. I'm always there. And it always has to be me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, as you're speaking there, I'm thinking of areas in my parenting that I don't really take much involvement in And <laughs> teeth is one thing that my partner is much more like on that with them. But I can kind of take a back seat with that bit and I'll do another bit. So you kind of do this tag team thing. But when you're on your own, it's all about the decisions you make and how on the ball you are.
0: Exactly. And I I my ex partner now didn't even bath um our son ever, even in those seven months. And I remember being absolutely terrified holding this newborn baby and shaking and just kind of trying to figure it all out on my own and feeling like, you know, this should be a thing that you want to get involved in. And I never kind of had that. So I suppose you kind of get used to doing it on your own, but it is just that fear at the end of the day that when you put him to bed and he's fast asleep, that you're going, Did I do a good job today? Can I tick that box and say, you know, did I do a good job? And can I do better tomorrow?
1: <laughs> yeah. And the thing about when you have a partner, when you make so we've just made a big decision with the girls in terms of like, say, schooling and you kind of make the joint decision and you've both made it. So if, if it's the wrong decision or you mess up, like you, you kind of can go, well, we both did it. Whereas if you do something and you make a decision and you think, oh God, it's wrong. You just have yourself to blame, which is really hard.
0: It's so tough that's that's definitely my my thing that I I have a sort of a chip on my shoulder about that one that I panic about an awful lot and I'm doing um, a psychology degree at the moment as well so that becomes more and more apparent when you see these little little traits and stuff that come out and you're like that's normal that's normal you know every, things that he does are very like normal I'm, fo- I'm following his development um through the psychology course as well which is fascinating but I kind of feel like I'm doing okay for now <laughs>
1: Well, it sounds like you are. So listen, let's talk about lockdown then. Let's talk about when um, Leo Varadkar said, right, that's it. You've got to stay at home. You can't do anything. How was it for you at the very beginning with Peter? Peter is now five, is that right?
0: He is, yep. I was absolutely terrified because I went from, say, four, four and a half days a week in Waterford doing my degree. like, And I went from being away most of the week, as many other people will be working or college, uh, to coming back and being like 24-7 with a small person who is full of questions and needs help with X, Y and Z. It was a massive kind of wake up call. I was terrified terrified of doing all my own because I would have had that sort of maybe slight backup with my parents and stuff and I couldn't go into them because they were over 70 they were cocooning so I had to kind of take a back seat and just you know when you feel like you're in control all the time and this felt like oh, I was very out of control like it was nothing I could do about it I just had to sit back and kind of roll with the punches so yeah we managed about two weeks of like fun and sunshine and this is gonna be okay. This is fine. And then they said, oh another two weeks and another two weeks. And I was kind of going, oh God, I don't know if I can do this full time. So I just um I got a higher, a slightly higher dose of my medication just to make sure that I wasn't rubbing off on them either as well. Like my lack of motivation, you know, you know, sort of down days and stuff, I kind of felt very overwhelmed. So once I did make the conscious decision to up my medication and to better for him through that I felt a million times better I was on cloud nine two of us we got into all sorts.
1: Claire that is really interesting to hear you talk about that decision because you know I think it's very astute of you you obviously know yourself very well and maybe it's the psychology degree or something Mm -hmm. but you you obviously realized you were you were going down a bit and potentially into a space that would be really unhealthy for both you and for um, your little boy and you proactively went and got that help. And I think that might be very useful for some people listening because medication as well gets a bit of a bad uh, rep sometimes. Whereas we see that it's the it's a thing that has helped so many people when many other things like the things like meditation and yoga and all these things that are supposed to help and counseling, which obviously do help in some way. But for some people, it's the medication that actually is the best thing. Can you t- can you tell me a bit about why you so quickly went and and asked for an increase in your dosage and, and, and why you felt that was the right thing to do?
0: I felt, uh, in my gut anyway, I felt if it went on kind of longer than the two, three weeks that we were initially kind of anticipating, the government said, you know, two weeks, we're going to wait up on another two weeks and stuff. It felt too unknown for me. And I know myself well enough to know that if I don't have sort of a goal or a drive or um, a motivation in my head, an end game, I get very kind of demotivated, very kind of downbeat as such. So, I felt like up in the medication would be a better idea, clearer head. And I, I did it and I felt great. Then once I had done it, but uh, it was definitely sort of an option. And I, the way I see medication anyway, it's not always everybody's option. It's not always something for like my meditation and yoga can be great for some people. I, I do some of that as well. And I always watch my diet and different things and I, I keep fit. I work out. But well, at the same time, I, I strongly believe that it can be sometimes a chemical imbalance, like, you know, that maybe I'm just not topped up enough uh, compared to Tom or Sally. Like with the medication, I felt like I was a normal person again for the first time in a, in a long time. I felt like I could think, basically, I could think there was not this sort of fuzzy head of, of feeling down and no kind of goal. So once I, I knew that that was kind of going to happen again after the two weeks, I said, it's not worth that. I don't want my son to wake up every morning and wonder why I can't get out of the bed. I said, I want him to look back on the pandemic times and go, geez, me and mommy had a great time. You know, we had we did things because I was motivated enough to do it.
1: So tell me about the distance learning, because that's something a lot of people struggled with. But again, when you have a partner, you can kind of tag team that and somebody can get a bit of work done. Now, you were studying uh, for exams at this time, which I can't even I don't even want to think about how I'd have coped with something like that with a small child. So how did that go? my
0: biggest concern was the fact that i with the home learning like i i teach him and that was fine but trying to juggle both and it was very much in the air whether we'd have exams even so i was thinking i need to learn all this information by a certain date to sit down and sit an exam and i found that nearly impossible with the home learning but it's um they changed and then they went to uh, like a continuous assessment and i did an assignment for pretty much each module i had left and I was delighted because I sat him beside me and I ordered a couple of those like ABC sticker books, Phonetics, Trace Drawing. We sat beside each other and I said, right now, school time from nine till 11. I don't need to ever get little sections because I'd never get an awful lot of time out and to sit down still. But I sat him down and I find that he was a lot more tired at night time. He'd sleep better because he's taught more. We have the leapfrog. So he learned a lot from that. And I would do my assignments in those little pockets then as well when he was busy writing things or drawing pictures or painting pictures. It was it was my saving grace, let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> so um you've been out of kind of lockdown for a couple of weeks now, have you? You've been able to go and see people and stuff. How have you found that? Has it been an interesting adjustment or has it been just fantastic?
0: It's been lovely. It has been lovely. We're still quite cautious with the with the masks and the hand sanitizer because um obviously I have elderly parents. So um, now since we've loosened up, I've been able to come into my parents' house and be with them. And Peter can see his grandparents. It's been amazing. But we're just very cautious because he has little hands. He's five years old. He wants to touch everything when we go into a shop. Uh, There was a point when they called uh, children vectors. The government called them vectors. And that was terrifying because every time you'd go out or you'd think about going into a shop you'd get the kind of funny stares of the looks like people just weren't able for you going into a shop with a small child you know they were kind of afraid of children almost so uh, it's it's really nice now it's all kind of relaxed a bit more and we're a lot getting, you know we're getting a lot more variety in our day
1: yeah i'm gonna bring neve in for a second um but just are you not surprised that there's been an 84 percent increase in calls to the helpline for single parents?
0: No, not at all. Not surprised at all, because I feel like everyone is is under pressure. Now, we're the great sort of solidarity there with feeling like we're all in the same boat. But at the same time, everyone is dealing with a different variety of boat as such. You know, it's just, um, it's like, you know, some people have more financial worries. I didn't necessarily have that because I was in college. I was getting a grant, you know, I didn't have that to think about, but um, definitely just, you know, caretaking and and mental health sort of keeping yourself upbeat. Mm. So I, I can 100% see that there was an increase that just needed out.
1: You are listening to the women's podcast brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Discover a different kind of dark. So, Neve, I know you don't work directly on the line, but what, from what your colleagues have been telling you, what are the kinds of things that that people were struggling with? Lone parents.
2: Um, the calls that when I was on the helpline over the last couple of months, a lot of uh, questions around access, a lot of questions around maintenance. I suppose with the access, it's people were scared. I mean, around the country, if you could, if you had children, just say in, in the rural counties where there's people could be living fifty miles apart or whatever. They were concerned about visit their children, going to see their children. Fathers wanting to go to see their children, wanting to know, is it okay for their children to go to their houses? Missing their kids, the kids missing them. I mean, a lot of single parents, uh, lone parents work can work very well together. And they have good setups, but they, a lot of them became scared because they didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing. For example, if you've got somebody who is parenting alone, a child has a number of children, but one of them has special needs, and that child has now got no support. Then you've got your other children home as well, you're doing the homeschooling. And while also trying to look after their child with additional needs, you need support. And so the mental health around that was massive, and it still is. I mean, it's just trying to manage and want to know that they're doing the right thing. The isolation, like lone parents were isolated before COVID. Do you know what I mean? So they know what isolation is, and there's a big difference with the loneliness and the isolation. You really realise, I'm on my own here. Maintenance. Some, in some cases, people were seeing it, using the, the COVID as they used maybe not to pay maintenance and stuff like that, not being able to get to the courts. The homeschooling was a huge thing as well, because you 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 people who suddenly were finding themselves at home, they didn't have all the, the right equipment. They didn't have the, their IT skills weren't up to and um, what they thought they should be if you've got two or three children all in different classes trying to get the stuff done pressure was huge is it okay to go out to the shops? what do I do if I need to go to the shops? I can't bring the kids with me this is at the beginning you can't leave them on their own so what do you do so buying like you, you know doing your shopping online and then Tesco's not delivering for a week and a half later stuff like that and the, the isolation and, and and practical stuff um, yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, a huge increase from all over the country. Yeah, it's it's eighty four percent is huge. But the other thing that you're involved in then is it was a thing that was offline before this, which is helping people get back into work and things like that. So tell us a bit about the program and how you transitioned when the pandemic happened to making it work online for you. What is called New Futures, New Steps, or New? Yeah,
2: so um, we run two courses: New Steps and New Futures. So New New Steps is like an eight week program. It's like a precursor to the New Futures, like it's a personal development programme and it takes little snippets of the New Futures programme condenses into eight weeks. And we would hope that the people who do new steps progress on to be New Futures. That's normally what happens. About half of our participants would go on to be New Futures and then we recruit the rest. It's an employability programme. It's a back-to-education and employability programme. It's aimed at women from early 20s up to mid-50s all have experienced being lone parents, but they're isolated from the job market, and they've been at home with their children. They're educated. Some would have maybe done a junior cert. Some haven't done a junior cert, and some could have college education, but haven't worked in fifteen years. So when they come into us and we do the needs assessment, one of the the most important questions that I think we ask is, "What do you want to do? What is it that you want to do?" And then we ask, "What is your dream job?" You know. And when you ask that question, they go, "My dream job, sure. like..." too late for me no no it's not it's really not you know and we go through their transferable skills a lot of times they'll say well I haven't worked for like just say 10 years so I I haven't done anything and you go no you have worked you've worked at home for 10 Mm -hmm. years you and we get that so what are the skills that you've learned doing that and they go no I don't know and then we actually start to say "Well, well who looks after your finances who manages your household all of that stuff." So when they start on the programme, they do a personal journal, which is really important for learning as well. The personal development piece covers their communication style, their values, their self-esteem, their confidence, their support. And then the second part, which is after Christmas, is concentrating on exploring career education and stuff like that. One of the things they identify is support. We all need support. So there's lots of organisations and places out there that say we support people or people in your life that say, oh, I'll support you. But when it comes down to it, who really supports you? And being able to name who the supports are because it, it kind of dwindles down, do you know what I mean? And you only actually need a few of those, but you need good ones. So we work really closely with them around that and everybody identifies different ones. And my God, was that life saved when COVID happened because they had to lean into their supports this time. And... I suppose, I know there's a lot of um, people talking about isolation and loneliness around COVID and it's absolutely true. We were in the middle of the course and they were coming in two mornings a week, three hours on Monday, three hours on a Tuesday, working as a group. Suddenly they're all at home, they're parenting alone. And I'm like, oh my God, this. how are we going to finish this? And we had a couple of weeks where we had to decide what are we going to do? And we were so near the end and they put so much work in that we had to figure it out. So we... We started doing Zoom. That was, a, that was a problem because some didn't have devices to do it. So we were using telephones and kids' iPads and stuff like that. We had to organize at a time when the kids weren't, doing, weren't homeschooling. Also, they had to get kids have to put in front of televisions and bribed and all that kind of stuff. Because a, a huge part of our program is the one to one support they get. So each participant is designated a key worker. So they would link in with that key worker weekly or fortnightly. Uh, any challenges that they're facing outside of the course whether it's housing maintenance all that other stuff that happens for long parents we support them with that there's a lot of telephone work there was a lot of talking on the phone supporting people around that and um we started doing zoom and they they did it we finished last week and we had a final zoom session last week all the ass- i have all the assignments there the assignments all were, were all in they had to adapt so fast and they did it And, you know, being a lone parent does not define your whole life. You know what I mean? You're able, like, we have people who have been accepted onto the Trinity Access Programme recently. We've people attending interviews on Zoom now. We've people going on to further education, applying for scholarships, And they're keeping going. They don't know what's going to happen in September or when they're going to start. And that is down to their resilience and down to their motivation lone parents are not are are not lacking in motivation they're not lacking in motivation it's the self-confidence and self-esteem and it's the it's the world outside that kind of tells them this story about themselves and it's about their self-belief.
1: Claire you're nodding away during Neve talking there you obviously relate to what she's saying in terms of I suppose attitudes to lone parents but also what the resilience that you have.
0: Yes the motivation like it is it is like we we have Plenty of, plenty of motivation because you have these little eyes looking up at you and, and you're the only one you're looking around going is there no there's nobody else like it is it, it is me like that, that, that they're looking at and they're expecting certain things to happen or routines to happen and uh, the pandemic kind of just threw that all off out of whack and like I don't know what's going to happen so how can I portray to him That life is going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And explain to him why he can't hug his granny and granddad and stuff. But I found just complete and utter honesty. I would stick to that rule across the board anyway. But as long as I was always honest with him. It's like, you know, if we go out, if we touch things, you see. And if we bring it back, then granny and granddad might get sick. So we have to just be very careful. And we just can't hug them for the time being. So a little bit of just awareness for him as well so i found that the, the motivation and stuff is there it was just mm. cuz it was so unknown it was trying to keep that motivation was the little bit of a struggle
1: <laughs> so i was wanted to ask both of you and i'll start with you claire about sort of stigma towards lone parents from the past that you know that the idea of women who were rearing children particularly women because it was it used to be only women and obviously as we know now there are a lot more men also doing the same thing But that stigma, if it still exists, and also kind of if it does, what would you like to tell people listening about the experience of being lone parents, assumptions that people might make, you know, and and things you'd like people to know?
0: I think there is probably a bit of a stigma there, definitely. I say probably, but I mean definitely. Um, From a point of view where people do kind of, Look at you in a certain way, and maybe expect you only to want so much out of life. Or maybe I'm just quite happy with maybe a little house, or you know, a nice TV, or a nice ish car. But what they don't realize is that we want just as much as anybody else wants, and we have plenty of drive, determination, and motivation because we are the only ones to answer to these small people. We have a lot of pressure on us to to keep it together. There's nobody else. Like, I can't go into another room and get upset or feel scared about the pandemic. You know, I, I'm like, it's fine. We'll get through this. We'll figure it out. You know, there is there is no one else. So I find that um, the stigma, I think, is, is slowly dying, definitely, um, because you've plenty of lone parents out there who are kind of turning against the sort of stereotype and even like myself i'm getting a degree in psychology i wouldn't be able to do it now if i didn't have my dad mine and my son after i play school and stuff so they're a big shout out to the grandparents and the carers and stuff like you wouldn't be able to afford the child care in order to go back and get a degree to better our lives but they play a big part but um definitely i think that the stigma is it's old-fashioned it's 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 pretty much on its way out because I think a lot more people are becoming more determined and showing that they're they're braver and stronger than we ever thought. So all you need is a few people like that and then you kind of go, oh, she's a lone parent, she's doing all that.
1: Wow, fair play, you know, so. Niamh, what about you in terms of what you hear about stigma and then also things you'd like people to know about the great job that so many lone parents around the country are doing?
2: Uh, I definitely have worked with people who believe that there's a stigma out there. But I think more what it is is a lack of understanding and knowledge, you know, I me mean, that people have. I mean, you, me, and everybody else out there need support in our lives at some stage in our lives. So if it's okay for the rest of society to ask for support, why is it difficult for lone parents? Why are they different? They're not any different. They just need different types of supports. They're well able to get on with things, they're well able to they have to work twice as hard probably people might not like to hear that because it sounds like you're going to oh, look for me they're not the fact is if you're on your own looking after children anybody who's a parent knows that's a difficult job on your own it's doubly difficult and I think as a society if we were able to embrace you know the understanding a bit more and just go look we all we all deserve a fair shot at this but yeah, I do think that some people, and this this affects people's beliefs about themselves then, because they think that this is this how society sees them. The colleges um, are all trying to, you know, open up and sort of give more support. And, and there is support. Some of the colleges are amazing. Just say for people who are going on to further education, but they're not all there yet. And this is where I would say that, yeah, it's great to say, yeah, we want to support these people. And my question to them is, well, how are you going to do that? Have you asked them what the supports are that they need? And are you willing to give those supports? Because if those supports were given, I can guarantee you people will flourish like anybody does when they're supported.
1: Well, I think even the conversation today has been very eye opening for me. And I take my hat off to you and to everyone else who's doing this on their own, because I think what you said is so important, Eve, like we all need help. Like everybody, people in couples need help, people who are together, and lone parents, but it's kind of nice to sort of look at things from other people's perspectives as well. I hope it's made listeners uh, realize how difficult it, it would be on your own and to not have that other person to bounce off. But uh, it sounds like, uh, Claire, you're doing a wonderful job for Peter. He's a lucky boy. And if you have any final words there just for um, your hopes for the future and kind of where your life is going to go, Claire.
0: Um Well, I hope to get my degree in psychology and do a master's and go on and get a nice job and be able to support myself my son and see his little face when we move into a nice bigger house which we're not squished into and um, things like that yeah that's what I'm looking forward to and I couldn't do without my parents my dad especially he's um, been my absolute hero and rock star so um, though I might not have reached out for support maybe that Niamh was offering I do feel like if I didn't have my family I would I would definitely go for that support so I'm, I'm really grateful and blessed
1: brilliant okay but well both of you thank you so much for talking to us on the women's podcast and good luck with everything you're doing thanks very much to my guests Neve Wynn and Claire O'Leary uh, you can email us on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast too and tell your friends about it if you want to find us on Twitter and Facebook we're on at IT women's podcast. Uh, The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Our sponsor is Green and Blacks and thanks very much to them. Take care of yourselves and thanks for listening.